Ephesians chapter 2. Over the past several weeks, we have been in a series on spiritual disciplines, and the purpose of this whole series is for us to gain understanding of what it takes to gain spiritual health or the idea of becoming godly. That is what spiritual health is from a biblical perspective, and we've, we've kind of looked at it and correlated it um, between the idea of physical health and spiritual health in that 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 there are certain necessary disciplines that have to exist in your physical life in order to gain physical health, that there are also spiritual disciplines that are necessary and vital to be in your life spiritually in order to gain spiritual health. And so we've kind of looked at a lot of these things. Uh, so far, we've looked at what our spiritual food is, and that's the Word of God. We looked at having spiritual conversation, which is prayer. We've looked at uh, spiritual relationships with others, which is the idea of fellowship with, uh, with other Christians. Uh, we've looked at the idea of spiritual giving, and that's not just with our money. We looked at how that is giving of your time, giving of your talent, and giving of your treasure. And then last week, Brother Justin filled in and preached on the spiritual motivation that we have, and that is worship. And worship is at the core, the motivating factor in a lot of our ministry. As a matter of fact, when he was preaching uh, this last Sunday, I was reminded of um, a quote that I heard several years ago at a conference, and it was that it was this quote. It says, "You can't go out in ministry effectively until you've been to the Lord affectionately." And the idea is, is you have to be vertical in worship if you're going to be effective in horizontal ministry. And so worship is a very big aspect of our spiritual disciplines, of our spiritual um, life and becoming godly. It is a motivating factor. And one of those motivations that it leads us towards is service. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, and that is the spiritual discipline of service or the spiritual discipline of ministry. And to do this, we're going to look at a, a text uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 that is more known uh, for its uh, theology in relation to our salvation. But it also has very rich theology in our service. And so we're going to look at it this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. Now I'm going to go ahead and start all the way back at verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 10. The Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, "...and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins." in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were na by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, I love that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do a series probably either later this year or next year called But God, because that term is in Scripture all over the place, and it is always incredible when you read it. But God, and listen to what he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would bless the reading of your word. And now as we begin to examine your word, I pray that your spirit uh, in me would increase as I decrease and that the words will be shared today would be your words and not mine. And Father, that as we study your word today, you'd be exalted, that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be open uh, to hear what you have for us to hear this morning. And that, Lord, we would respond how you lead us to respond is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Ephesians is a very integral part of, of the Christian faith and for believers. It has a, a lot of theology in the book of Ephesians. It's one of my favorite books in all of the scriptures. And it's written by Paul, and he writes to the saints in the church in Ephesus. And in it, he, he basically is making the case that as believers in Christ, we are rich beyond measure. The church in Ephesus wasn't very rich, but he was making the case that in Christ, they were rich beyond measure because their riches are spiritual riches. They're, they're spiritual blessings, if you will. And, and these spiritual riches or these spiritual blessings lead to a spiritual walk with God. And one major aspect of, uh, uh, of our spiritual walk with God would be to serve him. Okay, and so he kind of makes this case in, in the book of Ephesians. As a matter of fact, he kind of basically breaks down the book in two parts. And our text, verse 10 in particular, is kind of the summation of both parts. The first part in chapters 1 through 3, he's describing basically what we have in our Christian, quote, bank accounts. It's our blessings that God has given us as followers of Christ. He talks about how we're adopted. He tells us that we're accepted, that we've been redeemed, that we have forgiveness, that there is wisdom that comes from God to those who are in him. Uh, we have an inheritance in chapters 1 through 3. It also talks about how we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, which is a great blessing. It enables us to know that our salvation is secure in him. And so he talks about what we have or the contents of our Christian bank account, that are these blessings that God has given us. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he, he transitions into this spiritual walk that these blessings, having these blessings, will lead you to. And a huge part of that spiritual walk in our service and our ministry. Now, again, verse 10, I think, sum, summarizes both of those thoughts beautifully. Let's look at verse 10 again real quick. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That pretty much sums up what he's telling us in chapters 1 through 3. We are created in Christ Jesus, and we have all these things that he's given us. And then it says that we are created for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that pretty much summarizes chapters 4 through 6. And so this idea, this, this verse 10 kind of brings the entire book, the entire idea, if you will, of what Paul is trying to get across to the church in Ephesus about who they are in Christ and how because of who they are in Christ and what they've been given in Christ leads to a, a, a vital spiritual walk with him and a very big aspect, according to verse 10, of a spiritual walk with Christ is our service that we were created to do by God. 
And this morning, we're going to look at this idea of service. We're going to look at this idea of our ministry. Uh, because I, I feel like that the, one of the things that is missing in a lot of Christians' lives uh, that, that is hindering them from being uh, spiritually mature, if you will, or even spiritually healthy, is that they're not so concerned with, with studying the Word of God. They're not, they're, they're, they'll do that. We have a lot of Christians that are not, not, not have a problem at all opening their word and studying it or praying. Um, we obviously don't have a very hard time with fellowship, especially if you're a Baptist, because we like to eat. And that's kind of how we do fellowship in Baptist churches. We're, we're not even so much concerned with or, or against, if you will, giving. We, we have phenomenal givers in our church, by the way. They're when I, I talk to other pastors, just brag on you guys for a minute. I talk to other pastors. You realize we're the, um, the smallest church in our association that has two full-time staff people. And there are churches larger than us that don't because they can't afford it. You guys are phenomenal in your givers. We, we have a lot of people that aren't afraid to give. We have people that aren't afraid to even give maybe of their talent, if you will. And, and worship's not really that much, you know, whether or not you get involved, you're not at least afraid to come. But when it comes to service, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to fulfilling the calling of God on your and my life, that's where some people stop. That's because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you actually take what you've been given and you, and you give it out. You pour it out. You, you come in, you do all these other things. It's like a sponge. And you get saturated in this spiritual water of Christ. And then the ministry is where you take that sponge out into the world and you wring yourself out into the world. And then you come back through prayer, study of God's word, fellowship, all those other things. And you resaturate. Why? To go out and do it all over again. But I think what we have in a lot of Baptist churches are a lot of saturated sponges that have never been wringed out and they're starting to smell. Because that's what happens to water when it sits for a long period of time. It becomes stagnant. It becomes stale. And, and so what I want to do this morning is really look at, at what the Word of God has to say about our ministry so that we can begin to grasp it. Because I think one of the things that we, especially in Southern Baptist life, especially in Oklahoma, have done a very poor job of is, uh, is relating back to the church that every believer in Christ has a ministry. You see, what we've done is we've kind of separated ministry and we, we, we kind of, even, even at like False Creek, we, we kind of have a special, now I, I believe there's a specific calling of God, by the way, for pastors and ministers. I, I believe that. But, but sometimes if you come and they're like, oh, has God called you to ministry? God called you to ministry. And we kind of treat that like, you're only called to ministry if you're called to preach. Or you're only called to ministry if you're going to be a worship pastor or a youth pastor. You're, you're only called to ministry if you're going to be a missionary around the world. But that's not true. The Bible says all of us have a ministry. Paul says in verse 10, created for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so my, my goal this morning for the next few minutes is to talk about each of our ministry, not just mine as a pastor, but each of our ministries as believers in Christ. And to do so, I want to point out three specific facts about ministry in relation to every believer in Christ that our text points out. Number one, 
Ministry is personal. Ministry is personal. Now, in verses uh, 4 through 10, just in those six verses, Paul uses the personal pronouns we and us eight times. We and us eight times, in just in those six verses. Now, who's he referring to when he's talking about we and us? For we are created for us. What, who's he talking about? Well, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, you'll see that Paul is specifically talking to the saints in Ephesus. So he's talking to the church. He is not writing this letter to the pastor of the church. He's writing to the church. Now, this is important. Because if we think, if he's writing specifically to the pastor or to the elders or to the bishops, then it would be easy for us to say, well, when he's talking about we and us, he's just talking about the guys that are leading. He's just talking about the preachers or the pastors or the elders. But he's not. He's talking to the saints. So when he says we and us in verses 4 through 10, eight times, he's talking about the church, all of us. And that makes it very personal. As a matter of fact, let, let's kind of let's look at it in a, in a personal way. If he's using the ideas of we and us, if that's what he's trying to do, and he's talking specifically to all the saints and describing not only our means for salvation, but also our service, and it's very personal, look at it that way. Go back with me starting in verse 8. We'll just start in verse 8. He already kind of does this in verse 8, by the way, so that's where I want to start there. See, in verse 8, he kind of switches, and he goes from uh, the use of we and us to very personal where he uses the word you. Now, look, look at what he says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, look at verse 10, and let's make it personal. For I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. Some of you are going, good, you just related that to you. No, now let me relate it, relate it back to you. Look at verse 10 again. For you are created, in, or his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You see, the, 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 what Paul is trying to get them to understand is a very important part. He talks about two things in verses 8 through 10. He, he talks about our salvation, and he talks about our service. And what he's trying to do is he's making sure the church understands that just as salvation is not just for the preacher, he's trying to get them to understand that ministry is not just for the preacher. You see? I'm not the only one in the church as a pastor, or any other pastor that stood in this pulpit, by the way. We're not the only ones that are saved, right? The Bible says you are saved by grace, through faith, not, by, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Uh, it's not by works, lest any man should boast. So not just the pastor is saved in the church, but the saints are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And not only does the pastor have a ministry, but you and I, each person in the room has a ministry. It's personal. You see, we need to stop hiding behind the idea that ministry, quote, unquote, is for the professionals, quote, unquote. Because in ministry, I like what Brother Ivan told me this morning, in ministry, as a Christian, we're all professionals. We're not, there is no such thing as a professional Christian. We're just Christians. And we have a personal ministry that we are to have. 
And so what we need to understand is there are a few things I want to tell you with that. If our ministry is personal, it's for me, and it's my ministry, and it's your ministry, for you, and you have your ministry, and I have my ministry, then there's some things that are very dangerous that we don't need to do. And I want to give them to you really quick. Number one, uh, if ministry is personal, don't compare ministries. But what I mean by that is don't put your ministry or someone else's ministry down because it's not your ministry or their ministry. You see, we're not all created the same. We don't all have the same ministry. And one of the dangers we have is either, number one, looking down on other people's ministry because it's not as good, quote-unquote. As I'm going to do that a lot today, by the way, quote-unquote. It's not as good as my ministry, so I look down on them. The other danger is I look down on myself because my ministry is not, quote-unquote, good as theirs. I can't preach the way Brother Dwayne does. Some of you are even thinking, I can preach better than Brother Dwayne does. Amen. I can't lead worship the way Brother Justin does. Oh, I can do better than Brother Justin does. You see what I'm saying? I, I can't sing. I, I, can't, uh, I can't teach Sunday school the way Brother John does. Or, or I can teach Sunday school better than Brother John does. You see what I'm saying? What we do is we compare, and that's dangerous because ministry is personal. Your ministry and their ministry are not the same, and so you don't need to compare, okay? Number two, don't covet ministries either. Don't look at someone else's ministry and go, I wish I had their ministry. Um, I found that coveting someone else's ministry is very dangerous because it's their ministry, not yours. And there's a reason why they're probably there and you're not. It's just reality. I had a pastor one time, his name was Wayne Barber, and I was at a conference, and he, he was actually pastoring a very large church, and he said that he used to, used to really covet the pastorate of some big churches. Some pastor friends of his moved up a little faster than he did, and they were pastoring big churches, and he coveted their ministry. He said, until God called me to one of those ministry, and I realized how ignorant I was to covet what they had. And then he told us flat out, don't pray for a big church. He said, now, if God brings you to a big church, you serve and you give everything you have, but don't pray for it because, brother, you have no idea. And he goes into this long deal, and it's this idea of coveting ministry. We want what someone else has. We, we see, but listen, you don't see the other side of what they have, too. You see, there, there's two, thing, two ways to look at that. There's looking at the stage aspect of their ministry what it looks like on the outside, but what you don't know is what goes on behind the scenes. And so don't covet someone else's ministry. Focus on your ministry. Number three, don't criticize ministries either. Don't criticize. I learned this a long time ago. Never say, if I was in their shoes, I would do this, unless you've been in their shoes. Jen and I were guilty of that. We, we actually went to a pastor one time and apologized because we thought we knew what was going on, and we thought we knew better, and we thought that if they would just call me as the pastor, then we could fix all these issues. And then they called me as their pastor, and we were both like, we had no idea. And, and we loved that pastor. He didn't even know we felt that way, but we went to him and said, Brother Morgan, we, we're sorry. We had no idea. And that's why, he, and he told us, he's a great-hearted man. He said, that's why I've said, and I've always said, never say you would do X unless you've been in X's shoes in that exact spot. Because you don't know. So don't criticize. You don't know. There's things that are going on behind it. Now, that doesn't mean you can't 
watch and look, and there, it doesn't mean you can't see mistakes that are made and understand their mistakes and try not to follow that, but it's not your place to go around and criticize and knock down someone others else's ministry. Don't criticize. And number four, don't compromise your ministry either. And the biggest compromise to anybody's ministry is sin. You see, you and I, the Bible tells us very easily, very, very simply, that sin is easily Sin easily entangles us. And, and, and one of the things sin will do is it may not necessarily destroy your mender, ministry, but it will definitely hinder your ministry, it will affect your ministry, and it will sometimes even destroy your effectiveness in ministry. So don't, don't compromise your ministry either for sin. Okay, all right, so there's some things that go with that I want you to know this morning. Number two, not only is ministry personal, but there's a second aspect of ministry uh, that, is, that is here in our, in our text, and that is that ministry is also purposeful. There is a purpose behind every person's ministry. If you look back at verse 10, there's an emphasis in verse 10 I want to point out. It says that we are created for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. The idea is God has called you as a believer in Christ, and he has already prepared the exact work that he wants you to do, and that was prepared beforehand. Your work, your ministry, your service had a purpose before you were even called to it. You see, you and I, we were called to ministry for a specific purpose. Several years ago, I preached through the priorities of Willika First when I first got here, and, and it was an idea of looking at a group of, of disciplines, if you will, that, that should shape our identity as a church and also form the foundation of fulfilling our purpose, and our purpose is to advance the gospel and to make fully devoted followers of Christ. And so in doing so, what we did during that series several years ago is we defined ministry simply as the activity of serving God. Ministry is the activity of serving God. But if you look at that idea through the lens of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that says we were created beforehand for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, if you look at it through that lens, then we see that ministry is not just serving God, but it is fulfilling the service of God that God called you or prepared you to do. You and I have a very specific calling that God has for you and for me. We have a very personal calling, a very personal ministry, but we have a very purposeful ministry as well. And in order to fulfill it, in order to do it, you've got to understand three things real quick. Number one, if you're going to fulfill the service of God that he's called you to, you've got to know what your ministry is. You see, a lot of people don't serve the Lord because they have no clue where they're supposed to serve. have no idea. Don't comprehend an idea of calling. Like I said, we've kind of related and relegated calling to just ministry, like professional ministers like youth, music, pastor, um, associate pastor, missionary, and we've kind of correlated calling just to that. And because of that, we have a church, a lot of churches that, and members within that don't have a clue what calling looks like for them because they look at it and go, I know I'm not called to preach. 
I know I'm not called to lead music. I'm not called to be a youth pastor. I'm not called to be associate pastor. I'm not called to be a children's minister. They know that, but then they have no clue what that ministry would look like for them because they think ministry is just those, those things. And, but the idea is, is you and I, we, we've got to come to a point where we know our ministry. You can't fulfill that, which, fulfill that which you don't know you're supposed to do. So how do you know your ministry? How do you get to the point where you know what God is calling you to do? Well, number one, ask God. Ask him. God, what am I supposed to be doing for you? What is it you prepared for me to do as a believer? Ask God. Number two, ask yourself. You say, why am I asking myself? Do you want me to talk to myself? Yes, you can talk to yourself, just don't answer yourself and you have no problem. Um, what I mean by asking yourself is this, is you need to ask yourself, what are my passions? What are my talents? What are my convictions? What, what are my philosophies? What, 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 are they, what has God given me that's in me that I, I can use to serve him? Maybe you're a very good cleaner. You, you can, by the way, cleaning is a great service ministry. You do know that's the technical word of a deacon, don't you? Diakonos means table washer. It does. They're servants. Cleaning is a great ministry in the church. Maybe it's fixing stuff. Maybe it's building stuff. Maybe it's teaching, but not in a pastoral role. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it's just being a sponsor, whatever. You ask yourself what your passions are, what your hobbies are, what your, what, your, what your theology is. Just ask yourself those questions. Ask you what your talent is. What do you enjoy doing? Ask those things. And then number three, ask someone else that has a strong walk with God. Now, I want to make sure you get that last part, a strong walk with God. You probably don't want to talk to someone about ministry that doesn't walk with God at all because they more than likely have no idea what to tell you. What you need to do is there should be people in your life or within the life of the church that have, are godly people, that love the Lord, love you, love the church, love the gospel, that you can go to and ask, what do you think my calling is? What do you think? Now, don't ask them without asking God. You need to ask God first. Ask yourself second, and then ask those people. There, there's, great, there's great wisdom in godly counsel. Great wisdom in godly counsel. So if you want to fulfill your ministry, you've got to know it. Okay. Number two, you've got to pursue it. That means you have to work at it. See, we don't like that word work because we're, we're Baptists. As a matter of fact, we go to these Ephesians verses whenever we think someone's getting too far out on a limb on works because it flat out says that it is by grace through faith you're saved, and that is not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works lest any man should boast. Amen, praise the Lord, we're not saved by works. And so someone starts throwing works at us, and we're like, no, we're saved by grace. By the way, thank God we're saved by grace through faith and not by our works, because our works would never be good enough. However, when it comes to our ministry, work is involved. How do I know? We'll go back and look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, that means we, God worked to create us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works. That's things that you and I do. 
Good works, not just thinking, not just good thoughts. No, good works. See, you and I need to pursue this, and that takes work. It takes effort for the work. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, and we don't have time to flip there. I'll run out of time this morning. But Ephesians chapter 4, it, it tells, Paul tells that church in Ephesus that God has called some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. Some, not all, some to that, and they have a very specific purpose for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. See, that's another issue with a lot of churches today. They want the pastor and the staff to do all the work. But listen, if they're doing all the work, they can't equip you to do the work. And listen, me and Justin by ourselves can't do a whole lot, but 100 people, we can do a lot. See what I'm saying? And so, yes, we, now that doesn't free us not to do any work. What I'm saying is, is our responsibility is to equip you for work. Ministry takes effort. It takes work. Not for your salvation, but for your service. That's why the Bible also tells us to anything you do, any work that you do, do it as if you're doing it like doing it unto the Lord. We are to work, so we have to pursue it. And then number three, fulfill it, and that means don't quit. Until you take your last breath here and your first breath in heaven, you are not to quit your ministry. Now, your ministry may change. It may have to adapt due to circumstances, health, but you never quit. I've got some pastor friends who, who used to tell me they couldn't wait till they got old enough to retire. And then they said they retired and found out real quick that you don't, requ- you don't retire from God's calling. You may have to retread, but you never retire. And almost every one of them I know preach all the time, or as much as their health allows them to, because they have a calling, and that calling doesn't go away just because they hit a certain age. The call doesn't stop until you die, so you don't quit. So you got to know it, you got to pursue it, you got to fulfill it. And then number three, not only is your ministry purposeful, you need to understand that ministry is very powerful. Ministry is very powerful. Have you ever stopped to think about all the different ways God could have chosen to, to take his, his message of his love, of his son Jesus coming to die on the cross for sin, uh, to pay your ransom, to pay the price that you owe? All the different ways that God could have chosen to take his message uh, to the world. I mean, he is God. He is the all-powerful creator. He could just use the sky as a big television screen and play it in front of the whole world to see. He could. He ain't going to, but he could. He, he could. he could write it on everything that he created. Every tree that pops up could have a message right there within it saying, I'm God, I created, I'm the God of the Bible. Uh, you sinned, this happened in the garden. I promised the Savior, his name's Jesus. I sent him over 2,000 years ago. He could put that in it. Why? Because he's the creator. He can do anything he wants to get his message across, and yet he chose to use us. The ones who... He created to have a relationship with in the garden who broke the relationship by doing and breaking the command that he specifically told them not to do. So he banned them from the garden, promised them a savior, and then you read the rest of the Old Testament and his people continually did what he asked them not to do. They'd get good and then they'd go bad. They'd go good and they'd go bad, just back and forth. 
And then we as Christians, we become Christians by the grace of God through faith, by, get, by repenting of our sin and placing our faith in Christ. And we're known as sheep in the Bible. And one of the reasons why, and I like Brother John's words, I'll use his, not mine, is sometimes sheep are just dumb. And we wonder why we're called sheep. Sometimes, trust me, you look at the church as a whole and the pastor as a whole, and you look at yourself and you go, man, that's, I'm just dumb. I need a, I need a shepherd. He chose to use us. It, it, it boggles the mind that he would choose to use us in our disobedience, in our sin, in our problems, and with our mistakes, and everything that we can do to mess up ministry. And trust me, we can do a lot to try to mess up the gospel. The, the church, over the course of its history, the last 2,000 years, has done some incredibly ignorant things that hindered the gospel, didn't help the gospel, yet the gospel is still here over 2,000 years later, right on the verge of reaching the entire world with it. Why and how? Because ministry, service for the gospel is powerful. One of the things that... Um, Hold on, my thing just reset on me. Let me find it. Got to love technology. One of the things that, that um, sticks out to me about ministry is that, you know, we could do a lot of things to mess it up. Yet he still chose to use us. As people. I love Romans chapter 10. First of all, in Romans chapter 1, he tells us what the gospel is and tells us that he's not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God unto salvation to any who would believe. That's what he says in Romans chapter 1. And then in verse 10, he says, How can they call upon anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord be saved? But how can they call upon the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? the gospel he, he, he we are the instrument he chose to use for the purpose of spreading his message and over 2,000 years later the gospel has spread in powerful ways now each of you here if you're a believer in Christ myself included have a lineage that could be traced we can't trace it I, I guarantee you, you can't nobody in this room can but if we could there's a lineage that each and every one of you have that could be traced all the way back to Jesus and to the commissioning of his church with the gospel. Matthew 28, go into all the nations. Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You and I, how did that work? Because someone over 2,000 years ago heard the commission of Jesus, and they went out and they served Jesus and they served the gospel. And they reached someone else. And that person heard the message of Jesus, repented of their sin, placed their faith in Christ, went out and served Jesus, and they served the gospel. And someone else heard that message. And that person heard the message of Jesus. They repented of their sin. They placed their faith in Christ. They went out and they pursued advancing the gospel. And it went from person to person to person until, for me, May 21st, 1989 at First Baptist Church, we woke Oklahoma when I heard the gospel and I repented of my sin and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. 
The, the ministry that you and I have power, and the reason why it's so powerful, number one, is because of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. But it's powerful because it has long-reaching effects. You don't know who you're reaching. I guarantee you on May 21st, 1989, the, at First Baptist Church, we woke up. When I walked that aisle and I made my profession of faith, probably nobody in that church saw what my ministry was going to be as a pastor. And I guarantee you, that nobody saw that on May the 20th of 2018, I would be standing in the pulpit at Walika First Baptist Church preaching directly to you about your service to the gospel of Christ. I guarantee you no one saw that except God. Why? For you are created in Christ Jesus as his workmanship for good works. Listen which were prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So you and I have a purpose, a personal, purposeful ministry, and it is very powerful. You look at the church, you look at the gospel and how it's exploded over the course of the last 2,000 years, and that is with Satan throwing everything he can at the church to try to diminish the gospel. And all it did was continue to spread and continue to spread. Why? Because there is power in our ministry. In February, I'll tell you this story and then I'll be done. And, and by the way, this isn't my first I'll be done. I will be done. In February of my senior year in high school, I, I went on a recruit visit to Oklahoma Panhandle State University. I didn't even know it existed until they called and asked if I'd come on a recruit visit with a friend of mine. And it is exactly where it says. It is in the panhandle, okay? And we, my dad drove us up there, and I think we hit Weatherford and went on up a little further. I remember going through Slap Out. You ever been to Slap Out? You need to go to Slap Out. Okay, we got to Slap Out, and we turned and went west. And when we turned and went west, there is absolutely nothing up there. I mean, it's just flat. There's no trees. And I'm sitting there going, and all there was was skunks for about every mile. Do you remember that, Dad? This is like, it was moving time for skunks, and they were everywhere. Anyway, we drive out to Panhandle State University. And we get there, and we check in, and they give us what we need for the weekend that we're going to be there and tell us our schedule for meetings with coaches and all this stuff. And then they introduced me and that friend of mine to a couple players that were currently on the roster, and their job was to walk us around. They were our hosts while we were there. And these guys were massive. Now, the guy that I was with, I, to be honest, they may have only asked me to come because of him, not sure, but they had no prayer of getting him on their team. This guy was the number one recruited lineman for Oklahoma State University, and they wanted him. He only went because I asked him to go. And they made him look small. They were huge. Come find out they're from California, both of them about six foot eight, weighed over 300 pounds, not fat, big guys. They, they walk us around campus. We go in the weight room, and we see sites we hadn't seen before. There's guys in there. They're strong. They're fast. They're athletic looking. But the problem was Oklahoma Panhandle State University had won like three games in five years. And so that weekend, they brought in, there was about 60 that they brought in for that official visit. And they told us in our meetings, we were brought in to replace everyone. 
And during one of those meetings, I asked a question. And the question I simply asked was, with all the talent we see, with the size you have, the strength you have, we saw their, uh, their record board, the, what people were lifting, they were, they were, I mean, they were beasts. And, and we saw their speed, they were fast, athletic looking. With all that you have, why are you struggling so much? And the, the, the response I got, I'll never forget. And this is what the coach told us. He said, our guys have no problem doing what we asked them to do to prepare for the game. They lift hard. They run hard. They, do ev- they practice hard. They do everything that we asked them to do to prepare for the game. But when it comes time to the game, the only thing they care about is, number one, looking good in their uniform and the party that's going to follow. That's all they care about. And he said, you're here, and we want to sign all of you guys to replace the culture of our school. What in the world does that have to do with us and our ministry? Well, I think it, I think it symbolizes a lot of churches and maybe some within ours. We have no problem doing all the work, studying the Bible, praying, worshiping, fellowshipping, giving, everything that's asked of us to prepare ourselves for the service we don't mind doing. But when it's time to serve, We only want to look good, and we're only interested in the party that's afterward. You say, what party are you talking about? Heaven. We want to look good, and we want to enjoy heaven. We don't want to get involved in the game. You and I have a ministry to fulfill while we're here. And I think it's high time that we get off the bench and get in the game. I think it's high time that we take everything that we've been taught, everything that we study, everything that we pray, the power of the building, power of fellowship, the giving, the the motivation in our worship, all of that come together, and that when we leave this place, we actively pursue fulfilling the service that God has created for us to fulfill.